0: Welcome to the Halliday Wine Companion Podcast. This is our space to chat about wine without all the fluff, from how to taste and describe it to how to pair it to that dinner party you're hosting next weekend. We'll be chatting to industry professionals from across the country tackling all things wine from a palatable perspective. I'm Tom Carr, your host, and I'm part of the team here at Halliday. And this is by the Glass. Well hello Melbourne Australians, here we are, it's actually a Monday in lockdown and uh, we are in for a little bit of a treat today, we're actually doing our very first winemaking technique in focus, that was a mouthful, Malolactic fermentation and for those in the know it's often referred to as malo. I remember when I first heard the Turner phrase, the winemaker halted Malo. I was at a winery down on the Mornington Peninsula and it just rolled off the tongue of the guy who was doing the tastings. And I thought to myself, I've got absolutely no idea what he's talking about. But of course, I didn't want to admit it and I just kind of went with the punches. Now, things are different. As you may know, I am studying or just finished my WSET. Uh, and while I was doing the course, I met this fabulous uh, and incredibly knowledgeable woman, Nicole Bilson. Uh, she was one of our educators, and uh, I thought she was so good at explaining things, I thought one day I'm going to bail her up after class. I'm going to have her on the podcast. Ah, So, of course... Here we are, and now that I have a little bit more understanding about this particular winemaking technique, it has completely transformed the way I drink shardy. Please welcome Nicole. Hello, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, come on, don't be so timid. (laughs) Nicole was always a bloody screaming class, you know, and I just think that she'll kill it today. Nicole, no pressure.
1: No, no pressure at all. That was quite the introduction. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Nicole, we've got to kick it off. Uh, We discovered recently that you and I share a little bit more in common than a love of wine. We were both health professionals in a former life. (laughs) How did you go from being a pharmacist to a wine educator?
1: Well, I think there's actually a lot of pharmacists in the wine industry. Um, there's a lot of winemakers, particularly, that are uh, ex-pharmacists. I guess all that chemistry kind of stuff just follows straight on through into wine, but for me it took a bit of a jagged path. Um, I retrained as an actor in my early days as a pharmacist. What? Still a little bit of, yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs>
0: Bit out there, (laughs) a bit of young and the restless, a bit of wine making. (laughs) Yeah,
1: mostly neighbours' auditions. um,
0: (laughs) Did you really?
1: Yes, and yes, yes. (laughs) Lots of I was I was actually more into theatre, but
0: um, in terms of film, neighbours' auditions. Oh my gosh! Stop. Uh, So anyway, so so how did you go from the set of (laughs) neighbours into wine (laughs) education?
1: Well, I um, was looking for a job that would fit in around attending auditions, actually, and <laughs> ended, up <laughs> ended up, as a lot of actors do, working in hospitality. It was a cocktail bar in Fitzroy, oh. and they didn't need any experience making cocktails, which was excellent. Um, so I started there and uh, did that for quite a while and was having a great time. But it was a tiki bar, and we garnished all of our drinks with very elaborate garnishes ornaments um <laughs> including pieces of fruit that people would chew on through the night and drop on the floor no biggie uh, but someone at 3 a.m had to go around and pick up all those pieces.
0: Uh, of fruit. was that you it
1: was well one morning it was me and i joked <laughs> i joked to one of my colleagues that i really always thought my life would amount to more than this <laughs> fanning strawberries
0: On the top of margaritas. Yeah, sorry.
1: (laughs) And picking up chewed pieces of fruit. Um, So he said, well, what do you love? And I said, I love wine. And look, maybe I was thinking of my knockoff. I'm not sure. But he said, well, you're in Melbourne now. I was from Queensland. Mm. Go and do wine. And so I went home at 3 a.m. and Googled Wine Courses Melbourne and found WSET and enrolled for Uh, Level 2 WSET before I went to bed that morning.
0: Wow. And the rest was history?
1: And the rest is history.
0: Oh, God, that's a fabulous little story. (laughs) I love the neighbours part. I didn't know about that. That was um, a little treat for my Monday morning. (laughs) Um, So, Nicole, malolactic fermentation. So that's uh, what we're chatting about today. In Mm. layman's terms, what is it?
1: So it's... It's often called malolactic fermentation. Uh, it's also sometimes called malolactic conversion. It's just this like tricky little winemaking process that um, winemakers can choose to put their wines through or not, and it changes the character of the wine. So the nuts and bolts level, it's malic acid, which is that like tart green apple acid, that acid that you get when you bite into a Granny Smith. Mm. It's, There's a tricky little bacteria that converts that malic acid into lactic acid. Mm. And so lactic acid, think lactose or that kind of um, creaminess you get in, I guess, like kefir um, or yogurt or it's, it's one of the family of, of bacteria, good bacteria yeah, yeah. that does those kind of conversions.
0: Yeah, right. Okay. So that's why when we think of, say, like a, a, a buttery Chardonnay, which we'll obviously get into, it's my faves, um, <laughs> that is those traits commonly associated with lactic acid, milk, dairy, sort yeah. of things, Yeah. Well,
1: yeah. Um, it's And it's, well, it's a funny thing because it's actually another little chemical which is techie name, diacetyl, Mm. that is formed during the malolactic fermentation process that gives that real buttery note. So it kind of, the process is more about changing the acid, which feels different in your mouth, but then it ties in nicely because it does create those buttery aromas, which is what we think of around that kind of lactose thing as well. Delicious
0: Chardonnay. (laughs) Um, and so uh, what grape varieties is malolactic fermentation um, commonly uh, used for?
1: Yeah, so most red wines go through malolactic fermentation, but in reds you don't really notice it because they've got so much of that, like really you know, dark berry fruit and lots of tannin and lots of other things going on. Um, in white grape varieties, though, that's where it gets to a really special place. So as you mentioned, Chardonnay is the absolute superstar of malolactic fermentation. That's, that's really, I guess, the main place where it's used. And then winemakers might choose to use a little bit or let just some of the wine go through malolactic fermentation Uh, if they've got if they just want to create a bit more texture or if they just want to add a little bit of extra toasty character so sometimes you can see it in other grape varieties maybe like semillon or um, sometimes in blends and things like that where they don't tend to use it is really aromatic grape varieties so things that are really about that like floral and fruit like riesling or Gewürz, Tremina, and things like and grapes and, like that.
0: And why is that? Like, why would they not use it in those more um, floral varieties?
1: Because it create well. Look, they might, and it would, you know, be quirky if they did. But it tends to dull those really floral aromas. And the other thing is, it you tend to need to have higher temperatures when you're fermenting, or or when you're sort of towards the end of when you're fermenting the wine to To get the malolactic fermentation to occur. So, mostly those, you know, Riesling and really aromatic things, they tend to like cooler fermentation temperatures.
0: Yeah, right. So, what would the benefits be, the top line benefits be, of uh, like for a winemaker to use malolactic fermentation?
1: Yeah. So, if we're talking about, like, let's talk about maybe Chardonnay, because that's really the real, the classic place where you're using it. It can, it adds a lovely, so it changes the quality of the acid. And by quality, I mean, it, it, it you know, gets rid of that tart sort of zingy acid and makes the acid a little bit creamier. Um, it can give you a lovely texture in the mouth. So a really silky texture of the wine. It can add some of those lovely buttery or creamy or sometimes slightly sort of like brie cheese kind of characters. So it adds complexity. And complexity is something that, you know, we all really love in wine because it kind of makes the wine more than just taste like, you know, fermented grapes. It it adds a lot of extra character to it. And then there are some other little benefits like it can um, help the wine, it can help keep the wine a bit more stable. A wine that's gone through malolactic fermentation might not need as much sulfur added to it Mm. or um, it might be a little bit more stable in bottle for a longer period of time.
0: Is it commonly practiced and and where in the world would we most commonly see malo?
1: So it is probably being practiced maybe a little bit less these days because one of the things about it is by changing the acidity, it softens the acidity and it actually slightly reduces the overall acidity without turning this into a chemistry lesson. (laughs) So (laughs) um, if you are in a warmer climate, it can already be a bit of a challenge to get enough acidity in your grapes. And acidity sounds like a bad thing, but it's actually really a good thing in wine. It, It makes the wine really fresh and really makes your mouth water and makes you want to have another sip. So in a warmer climate, they are tending, winemakers are tending to use malolactic fermentation a little bit less. They might choose not to. But where it's really traditionally practiced is in um, France, particularly in Burgundy. That's kind of, they're the guys that really championed it. And so um, when I was in France a couple of years ago, I was very enthusiastic and visiting all the wineries and i recently finished my WSET diploma. So I had all of the questions and I was in Burgundy for a few days and I kept saying to winemakers, oh, does this, has this gone through malo?" And they just look at me like, of course it has you silly girl. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: pretty much all the wines in Burgundy go through malo, but it's really interesting. You don't see that really buttery kind of note in the Gundian Chardonnay, the way that you might in somewhere like Australia or in America particularly, they make these really, really buttery Chardonnays. And there's a whole bunch of chemistry behind um, Mm, those mm. reasons.
0: Yeah, so the warmer, the quicker, the ripening, the lower, the acidity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So acidity is retained by having really cool nights. So as grapes ripen, there's a whole bunch of different things going on there. So you're getting um, sugar levels build up in the fruit. Um, you're getting um, flavor development. Uh, you're getting tannins being formed. And as that is all sort of happening at the same time, you're also getting a drop in, in acidity. So the closer those grapes get to ripeness, um, the more that acidity drops. And it's just, um, it's just a factor of climate and warmer temperatures um, tend to have less acidity. Acidity stays in grapes when you've got um, really cool nights. It's just, it slows down the ripening process.
0: Let's talk through the stages of malolactic fermentation. Now that we've sort of got a bit of a brief overview of what it is, Uh, can you talk me through the winemaking process?
1: Yeah, sure. So the first part that happens Is the primary fermentation. So that's what we think of, you know, normal fermentation of grapes. You've got grapes, you've got yeast, the yeast eat the sugars in the grapes, turn it into alcohol. Okay, nice. And that's, you know, a bunch of other things, flavors and other stuff comes in there as well, but they turn it into alcohol. Malolactic fermentation or conversion is sort of a process that can happen at the same time or it might happen just after there's lots of different factors involved around temperature and so forth but it's a separate process so this time it doesn't involve any yeast it involves a bacteria so it's a, a lactic acid bacteria or part of the lactobacillus family which is you know people might be familiar with that name because it's you know it's sort of one of those good acidophilus bacteria family bacterias so when we say bacteria bacteria is not always a bad thing this is a a good bacteria and it um, basically eats up malic acid and produces lactic acid so um, it's just it's just a a simple little sort of chemistry conversion process that's carried out by a bacteria
0: so you put you you've made your base chardonnay you've put it through a primary um, fermentation where the yeast eat the sugar, produces alcohol, uh, and then you put it back through a secondary fermentation, but this time with that particular um, bacteria, which converts the malic acid into lactic acid. Is that what I'm picking up? Yep,
1: that's right. Um, and when you say you put it through, sometimes it just happens naturally.
0: Oh, right. So okay. there
1: is there is lactic acid bacteria in wineries, so that that might just happen without you needing to... Do anything necessarily to force it into happening, so, or winemakers can add commercial strains.
0: Yeah, of, that's what I was going to ask. So, whether it just occurs naturally or whether you um have to add that bacteria in?
1: Yeah, it depends on a lot of different factors. Yep. But yeah, and then winemakers might also choose to like because it it can just occur naturally in wineries. It's it's present in um it's present in wineries. The other side of things might be that winemakers are actually needing to do things to stop it from happening.
0: Yes. So I wanted to ask about that because obviously my little anecdote at the beginning where I talked about this winery I was at and they were talking about how the winemaker had halted malo, I had no idea what he was talking about, but now I do. So when you so for what reason? I mean, so the obvious reason is you halt malo because you didn't want too much of that you know, big, buttery, you know, characteristic. How do winemakers halt Malo once it's started?
1: So there's a, a couple of different things. Malo likes higher temperatures, so you could chill the wine down. Mm-hmm. You could filter it to remove any yeast or bacteria that was still present, which is happens in a lot of wines anyway before they go to bottle. Um, you can add a little bit more sulfur dioxide to the wine. So sulfur dioxide is, it's just like a, a pres- it's a preservative agent, but it's antiseptic. So it it stops bacteria from continuing to, to function in the wine. Mm-hmm. And in small amounts, it's fine and, you know, it doesn't cause any, any undesirable effects. Those are probably the major ways. So most, most often winemakers might just add a little bit of sulfur or chill the wine down and that will, um malolactic or lactic acid bacteria don't really do much above, sorry, below about 16 degrees.
0: Right, okay. So they just 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 they just become inactive and yeah. stops. Yeah. So with that process, yeah. if you were to um, halt it, right, you would do a little bit of malolactic fermentation and then halt it, is that so you'd still retain some of that vibrant appley acidity in the wine with just some hints of toasty butteriness
1: yeah yeah absolutely um a, a lot of winemakers are looking to have lots of different characteristics or sometimes um winemakers might have they might be making 10 barrels of chardonnay and they'll let one or two barrels go through male lactic but not the other ones so it's all about once you bring all your your different barrels together or your different parcels of of wine together it's about finding lots of different characters about creating that complexity in the wine
0: oh so you could so you could do it all in one barrel or you could have three different barrels and have one that doesn't go through malo and the other two that do and then you blend it together
1: and that's probably more commonly what happens
0: and so describing um so for people at home uh who are going to go out and try a uh chardonnay uh what like, how, how would you describe, how would they be describing Malo on the nose, the, the color, the body? Like, I just want to talk through a few sort of descriptors.
1: So, what you would be looking for in a wine that went through Malo, or if you, if you knew that a wine had gone through Malo, mm. um, the things that you would expect to find are, yeah, like this real kind of creamy, buttery kind of character um, on the nose. Um, so it might smell like buttered popcorn. I mean, mm. that's that's a really classic thing. If a wine's gone through a lot of malo, it can have like a real buttered popcorn note. It mm. might be sort of spicy and a little bit more nutty. Mm. Um, and then on the palate, um, when you put it in your mouth, it, it just, it's, it's silkier. It feels really creamy and it's almost like it, you know, kind of coats your mouth in this gossamer silk like character. Oh, you're talking like Nagello. All oh.
0: <laughs> oh, those descriptors. So it'll be more full bodied on the palate.
1: More full bodied on the palate, yeah.
0: And like yeah. and greater length? Would it add greater length as well? Would it linger longer? Um,
1: maybe. Yeah. yeah. And realistically, if a winemaker is putting a wine through Malo, you know, that there's they're, they're, they're they're doing a bit more winemaking with it. So it might be something that's higher quality and and quality is very much linked to length often. So,
0: Yeah, I think that um, like so in summation, I think that uh, malolactic fermentation, um, as we discussed in classes, has had a bit of a rough trot in a, in a sense because it's we had that real big boom in Australia where uh, winemakers were making those big full-bodied, Buttery, um, chardonnays and then that style kind of fell out of popularity and we've sort of gravitated yeah. away from that
1: yeah absolutely so as a as a trend we moved right away from that and 10 years ago all the chardonnay was really really lean and, and probably didn't have any melo at all but there's a lot of people that love that character in wine. And when it's done well, mm. it just adds like this kind of sexy extra spice to the wine <laughs> instead of being like a butter bomb. So <laughs> I think, you know, we're finding this really lovely middle place with it now.
0: Yeah, oh, I love Chardonnay. And actually that it. is a question that, we, that I ask everyone is what are your favourite grape, varietal, your top three wines to drink.
1: My top three wines to drink. Um, Number one, I will drink champagne whenever the opportunity
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're talking my language. (gasps)
1: Um, And then, look, probably in whites, I do love Chardonnay because I love that there is so much variety out there. Chardonnay Mm. doesn't Mm. limit you to one particular style. There's so much breadth. In reds, oh, I'm a I'm a big sucker for Nebbiolo. Oh. Nebbiolo, yeah, yes, I do um, remember you
0: saying that. I thought you were going to say Pinot, and I thought, well, babe, you and I are totally matching.
1: Pinot's Pinot Pinot's right there as well. I have to say Pinot, but um, Nebbiolo, you know, it's a bit it's 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 a it's a hard little grape to get your head around. But I think once you understand. It with its crazy big tannins and high acidity but also really pretty rose petals and earthiness, there's a lot going on there.
0: Nicole, thank you for chatting with us about what should be a rather dry topic but, of course, you made it interesting. Uh, Guys, thanks for joining us as we chatted about all things malolactic fermentation. So I think you need to go out now and find yourself a Chardonnay and and, um, see or taste what nicole was talking about nicole we would love to have you back on at some point to chat i don't know about whatever we want excellent i would love to be back (laughs) um thank you for joining us and um guys look have an absolutely fabulous weekend go pour yourself a drink if you haven't already and uh we'll see you next friday on by the glass